She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and I am here today again with my friend Don Alden. I'm so glad you're back. Me too. And I'm so, so, so excited to bring you this broad today. She is a broad that has been much in the news this last week because we just lost her. Um, we did this week. She just died. And, and at the age of 69, f- fairly young, though apparently she had been a, a little bit sick for a little while, but I think she led kind of a quiet life in some ways, so I, I didn't even know she was, wasn't well. The news of her passing hit me like a shockwave because when I think about feminism as a whole, and there's all these different waves and theories inside feminism through, through the years and ongoing, it's kind of always changing and mutating, but I think of her theories and her writing as kind of my foundational feminist thought. So she kind of feels like my feminist mom. And I am, oh, I didn't even say her name. We are talking about Bell Hooks today. So I know that you've heard of her because- Yes, I have. Yes. Because I feel like you're even a more learned feminist than I am. (laughs) But we're talking about Bell Hooks. Her her full name is Gloria Jean Watkins, but her her pen name, uh, her pseudonym that she wrote under was Bell Hooks. And so that's how the world kind of knows her. Listeners, if you have not heard of her before, you might notice if you Google her or if you've seen articles about her, that her name is not capitalized. Bell Hooks is always a lowercase b and a lowercase h. When I first saw that happen, I was like, what? That's a weird typo. And then I learned actually that was her decision. So when she chose that pseudonym, she did not capitalize it because she wanted the focus to be on her writing and on her work and not herself and her personality and her persona. And true to form, as I was researching her to kind of put together some more about her life today, there like wasn't a ton about her personal life. Huh. I, maybe I, there's other sources I, I wasn't able to to find uh, in my research, so I don't want to say that there's not info out there. But the generic, you know, the generic articles about her life, and especially now, like it's her, you know, all these articles and these obituaries right. honoring her. There's not much said other than about her, other than kind of like obviously the book she's published and then the teaching position she's had. It's it's interesting that I feel like actually she was able to do she was able to by decapitalizing her name kind of take that spotlight off of herself and put it on her writing to put her writing front and center. So what uh, do you do you before we start do you have like a particular relationship with Bell Hooks and her writing or, or do you have any like any anecdotes you want to share off the bat? <laughs> I, I I don't although I tell you it's funny that you're doing her today because I was walking the dogs late last night and this thought popped into my head and I got home and I wrote it down because I feel like I'm quoting someone, but I'm not sure who. But uh, the thought was, I am not in the business of criticizing how oppressed people seek liberation. I am in the business of criticizing their oppressors. Mm, that sounds like a her. And that sounds like a really bell hooks thing. So I wonder if it, if it came from her. It fits within the, the confines of her theories for sure. I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you if that's a, a direct quote or not because it's not one of the ones I have pulled for today. But yeah, because that was definitely her focus. In fact, the, I, spent, I spent most of the weekend going through and watching all these great videos of her speaking. 
Um, she's done, there's, if you go like even just on YouTube and type in bell hooks, there's all these lectures and guest speakers and conversations where she's talking with other kind of feminist thinkers, uh, and anti-racist thinkers and like all, all of these folks. And, she, and, uh, I just was like listening to her speak all weekend. And I'm so, I'm like completely brokenhearted that she has left the world, but she also has left such a legacy, yes, yeah. um, and such a profound body of work. And so I think like for me, a personal goal of mine is, is definitely to continue showing the world and telling all my friends and everyone who knows me and everyone on who listens to this podcast, like everyone should know who she is yes. and the thoughts that she supported and that she kind of brought to the forefront. Um, so let's talk a little bit about her, her feminism to start with before we go into her life and all of her books and her quotes and all these great things I have pulled. For listeners who don't know who she is and what her theories are, let's just start with that because sometimes feminism can like feel really heavy to talk about. I, I at least find, I don't know if you do, but I find in conversations with people who maybe don't yet call themselves feminist or recognize themselves as feminists, they find feminism to be like a really triggering word for them or they have very specific thoughts and feelings about what it is to be a feminist and what feminism is right um yeah. when they say no i i call myself a humanist something <laughs> like that like oh come on you're a feminist just admit it and get on board the come on get on board the train everyone should be on this train and you know there's a huge history of feminism and of feminists getting labeled as um as man haters yeah, that, like yeah. people, who, women who just hate men. And Bell Hooks was very specifically, and like she very specifically did not take that point of view. And she took the opposite point of view. She wanted to include men in feminism. And she believes that men are necessary to create change and to dismantle the patriarchy. And that the patriarchy is just as damaging to men as it is to women. Yes. Which I think is like a really important tenant that I feel like I, I recognize and I try to kind of support in all the work that I do. Absolutely. I have like a little rundown of her theories. I found this amazing website that really laid it out really cleanly. So I'm, I'm kind of using their crib notes, but um, she's most well known for her feminist theory that recognizes that social classifications such as race, gender, sexual identity, class are interconnected and that ignoring their intersection creates oppression towards women and change the experience of living as a woman in society. So uh, a popular version of the second wave of feminism said that all the systems of oppression stemmed from patriarchy. But Bell was like, no, that's not true. There's all these different kinds of oppression that are interlocking together. And power is relational depending on where you are kind of in the matrix of all those things, sex, race, and gender, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so intersectional feminism is very closely related. We talk about that sometimes on the podcast. Right. And her favorite phrase, one of Bell Hook's favorite phrase, and if you watch her YouTube video, she says it like she squeezes it in everywhere. Yeah. And it's awesome. And sometimes people can't even sit, repeat it back to her without laughing, which also I find fascinating. But her phrase is the imperialistic white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. And that all of those four kind of tenants are different power structures and we all are existing in those and they all exist together. None of them are in a vacuum, right? Right. Yeah. I'm kind of obsessed. Like maybe I just start saying that all the time too. I think you should. Or maybe, I don't know if people will still want to hang out with me, I guess, but no, that's not important. No. <laughs> that's not important. That's right. But, but you should definitely give her credit. So you should say, as Bell Hooks would say, the imperialist white That's supremacist. True. Yes. As Bell Hook should say, and here's the link to her book. I'm going to order it for you right now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 
I'm having trouble finding her books. I feel like I've lent them out to people or given them out. You don't really lend books, you give them. But I, I'm like, where's my feminism is for everybody? And I'm like, oh, I must have given that to somebody. You're going to get another copy. So as much as like today, so today we talk so much about intersectional feminism that that doesn't, I feel like when I say all that, it doesn't seem weird. But at the time when she started writing, it was considered kind of radical. And what was radical about it is that until that point, feminism really thought that the oppression of women was kind of like a singular like solidarity everyone had a female common experience right and what she was saying is that no it's way more complicated than that and there's a uniqueness to every woman's set uh circumstance and status and set of oppressions exactly so the the like six bullet point list of like what are her tenets is number one feminism is revolutionary not reformist um so they're not trying to change the system they're trying to dismantle it Number two, love is an action and it's at the heart of feminism. Oh, um, I love that. Yes. And one of those tenets, she talks about how patriarchy is organized around domination and power, but yes. feminism is organized around love and mutuality. So love is like a huge theme for her um, throughout her work. Number three, feminism must acknowledge the reality of race and class differences. Yes. Number four, we need more accessible feminist education. Number five, eliminating violence is a crucial part of feminism. And six, feminism should define an alternative vision of masculinity. Yes. So those are kind that's like the super Cliff's Notes, super Cliff's Notes version of her her feminist theory. Is that have you heard all those before? Did you know all those? Are any of those new to you? No, no, they're not new to me. They're not new to me. And I and I agree. You know, they are very much in keeping with with the kind of feminism that I practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Because I'm I'm yeah, I'm fond of saying and I'm sure all of my friends will tell you, "Yes, oh my god, she says it all the time." But I'm fond of saying patriarchy hurts everyone. It hurts all the genders. Yes. That's something Bell says in a lot of her work is that it, the patriarchy forces men to shut down the, the kind of the love and emotion centers and yes. it, and it hurts them to do that that, that yes. it, it oppresses them yes. from being loving beings you know yes. yeah yeah that and the uh, only appropriate emotion that men are allowed to feel in a patriarchy is anger right because they have to dominate they have to dominate they have to control you know and and there's a reason why you know so many men commit suicide mm. but the suicide rate for men is higher because they have to suppress all of their tenderness, all of their vulnerability, you know, anything that has the slightest whiff of weakness about it. They right. have to suppress that or they're not manly, you know? I mean, that's yeah. a ridiculous system. But then you aren't even able to process things that happen in your life. Yes. And so when big life-changing things, you know, when we think about like when you yeah, suffer a loss, loss in your life, yeah. grief, how to even process those things, right? like it's just shut down and then you just can't even cope. And it's, it's such a crime to be taught not to, to feel those feelings. That is, that is the overview of her theory. Now I want to dig into her life and her, her specific works a little bit more. So I'll start at the beginning. Gloria Jean Watkins was born September 25th in 1952 in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Her dad, Veodis, I think is how you say it, was a janitor at the local post office 
Uh, and her mom, Rosa Bell Watkins, they say was a homemaker, quote, homemaker. Um, but a few other articles said that she was a maid for local white families. I kind of believe in, like a, the combination of those because I'm sure her mother didn't just stay at home. They had seven kids, six wow. girls and one boy. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Um, when Belle um, was talking about her neighborhood growing up, because um, she grew up, when she started going to school as a kid, she was in segregated schools. Um, and she said later of her neighborhood that it was, quote, a world where folks were content to get by on a little, where Baba, Mama's mother, made soap, dug fishing worms, set traps for rabbits, made butter and wine, sewed quilts, and wrung the necks of chickens, end wow. quote. But she also said that this community turned the hardships created by racism into a source of strength. They went to school. All the kids went to school. But Belle credits a lot of her education to my favorite place, the public library. <laughs> and according to all of her siblings, she used to, they used to all go to the library as a family. And they would each you know, check out a book. But Gloria would have a stack of like 12. <laughs> she was checking out. And she was an avid, avid reader. Um, and especially poetry. She was really drawn to poetry. She loved William Wordsworth, Langston Hughes, Elizabeth Baird Browning, Gwendolyn Brooks. And by the time she was 10, she started writing her own poems. And she soon got kind of a, a reputation for her ability to recite poems. And she would perform poetry readings at church and all these other places. Eventually, in the 1960s, the schools became integrated or they moved to an integrated school. And she graduated from Hopkinsville High School. And she was able to get a scholarship to Stanford. And so she went to Stanford to get her BA in English. She did not wait for her degree to be finished, though, before she, like, really started writing. So she starts writing while she's in college at Stanford. She begins writing the book Ain't I a Woman, which is one of her seminal and kind of most profound. They're all profound, but it's kind of one of her flagship yeah, books. Yeah. So she's 19 when she starts writing the book. Right. And as she's writing, as I already said, she, she takes on the pseudonym Bell Hooks, right. which uh, her, her maternal grandmother's name was Bell Blair Hooks. And her grandmother was this like local legend for talking back and having lots of sharp opinions. And she was right. a heavy influence for Gloria from, from a very, very young age. But then she, doesn't, she decides also not to capitalize Bell Hooks. So that right. focuses on, on her ideas rather than right. personality. Right. And Ain't I a Woman, of course, is a Sojourner Truth. Yes, another broad that we have, another broad we have covered on this podcast. That is a quote that is from a Nod to Sojourner Truth. Yes, I should have, I should have had that in my notes. You pointed it out. Dang, <laughs> Don's got me. One zero. <laughs> um, so uh, she also, so she's in college, but she also takes on a job as a telephone operator because she needs some money to to get through everything. So she's balancing a full time student schedule and this telephone operator job, and she's like writing her first book, several books, actually. She's writing a few at the same time. <laughs> so it was a lot to balance. But one thing that she said about that time is that her phone operator job offered her something that she like really was not getting at school, which was a community of working class Black women. Nice. That really was like uh, both an amazing support system and also like an amazing kind of window. Because I'm sure that Stanford at that time was mostly not black <laughs> right, right and uh filled with all of these heady intellectuals and not you know the opposite of yeah an ivy life. league school so probably a lot of you know sort of white tower intellectualism there yeah exactly yeah. um so she finishes her ba she gets her ba at stanford and she moves on to the university of wisconsin madison to get her master's in english um and this is 1976 so she's 24 at this point 
1978, she publishes her first book, which is a collection of poetry, And There We Wept. Um, I have not yet read that one, so I won't say much about it. And now all this time, though, she's still working on Ain't I a Woman. And she goes through several drafts over the course of six years until wow. she's finally like, okay, this draft is okay. We can we can do this one. <laughs> and think how much the world changed in those six years, too. I mean, my God. It must have been trying to like trying to write on shifting sands. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because she she's 19. And at this point in 78, she's 26. So there's a lot going on right then. And when she finally has the finished manuscript and is ready to go, though, she does have trouble finding a publisher. She has a bunch of frustration with that. And then apparently she was giving a talk at a feminist bookstore in San Francisco, as one does, as a feminist does, does. go to San Francisco do a a talk. Um, And someone suggests, oh, you should check out South End Press and they would become her her future publisher. In 1981, Ain't I a Woman? Black Women and Feminism is published. And this book becomes a central book in discussions of racism and sexism. 11 years after it's published, Publishers Weekly ranks it among the 20 most influential women's books of the previous 20 years. Wow. So it's like constantly kind of held a status. And in the book, uh, I have like brief summaries of these books. Listeners, I highly recommend just reading them all because I'm just giving you the super Notes version. But in Ain't I a Woman, um, she centralizes the intersection of race, sex, and class at the core of Black women's lives. And she argues that each identity has the ability to produce and perpetuate systems of oppression and domination. And more specifically, she addresses the effects of intersection of racism and sexism on Black women and how the convergence of sexism and racism have contributed to Black women having the lowest status in American society. I do want to like do an aside here for our audience. I am a white woman. Dawn is a white woman. And I am not going to dig heavily into the issue she talks about around black people because I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to do that. But I am just kind of saying the overview of her teaching on it. So I just want to put that out there that I know I'm white. (laughs) Um, And that um, I still think everyone should read these books though, because I think understanding more about people across the intersectionality of everything is so, 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 so important. Yeah. I just don't feel like I can posit myself as some sort of expert on those things. Right. Right. But especially (laughs) white women like us need to read these books because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we talk about this a lot with uh, American culture overseas. It's like other people know more about our culture than we know about theirs because we're the American. We're kind of in a bubble. We live in our bubbles and we don't much step out of them. And it's a huge right. problem throughout the, the country and in all these different, not just in sexism, but everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I often think of it as like, if we expect men to educate themselves on women's issues, and if we say that we cannot dismantle patriarchy without men getting involved and fighting on our side, it is the exact same obligation that we have as white people to mm-hmm. non-white systems of oppression that we need to educate ourselves and we need to uh, we need to put our hands into the fight to dismantle yeah. those systems of oppression. So, the imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. A freaking men. You got it. You got it. <laughs> One of the best quotes I think from Anaya Woman is quote, it is obvious that many women have appropriated feminism to serve their own ends especially those white women who have been at the forefront of the movement. But rather than resigning myself to this appropriation, I choose to reappropriate the term feminism to focus on the fact that to be feminist in any authentic sense 
of the term is to want for all people, female and male, liberation from sexist role patterns, domination, and oppression. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot of quotes in that book. I think that is kind of the the biggest one, at least uh, for me. So in uh, 1983, after a few years of teaching and writing, she completes her doctorate at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and her dissertation is on Toni Morrison, and it's titled Keeping a Hold on Life, Reading Toni Morrison's Fiction. Nice. Uh, and then in 1984, she's so busy. She's writing so much. All of these year markers are all like only one or two years apart. And so I'm just in awe. I'm just in awe of her constantly. But her next big book is From Margin to Center uh, in 1984. Is that one you've read? I can't remember, honestly. That's okay. It's not a test because I haven't read that one. <laughs> I'm I so bad. I'm so bad. You're not bad. There's lots of writing and it's and it's also some of it's difficult. Although I have to say, um, and to encourage listeners not to be intimidated by Bell Hooks, she has a way of writing and playing these ideas out that I find to be super accessible. Like it doesn't when I read her stuff, it's not super intellectual like some feminism and other theorists. You know, sometimes you read theories, and I don't know about you, Dawn, but I just get like lost in them sometimes. And I have to read something like 12 times to figure it out. And that has never been the case with Bell Hooks writing for me. Yeah. It's always like I open the page and there it is, just outlined as if it were a crayon drawing. It's like the, the writing's simple and clear. And it yeah. makes sense. I love that. And I think for that reason specifically, I also encourage everybody to, to check her out. Um, so From Margin to Center also becomes kind of one of her big, one of her really big books. Yeah. A couple of my favorite quotes from it. Uh, obviously, I've been like looking through quote sites because I haven't read that book myself. Um, but these are a couple that really stood out to me. The first one is, quote, to build a mass-based feminist movement, we need to have a liberatory ideology that can be shared with everyone. She also says, quote, I need feminism to give me a foundation of equality and justice to stand on. Mm, and I nice. think the, the biggest one that stood out to me was, quote, revolutionary ideology can be created only if the experiences of people on the margin who suffer sexist oppression and other forms of group oppression are understood, addressed and incorporated. She really reaches out to those like, you know, instead of talking about kind of the forefront of the feminist movement from margin to center. So the people furthest on the margin, right? right? That's what that book is is about. So she keeps going. She's going and going. She accepts a joint appointment in English and African-American studies at Yale in 85. Uh, in 88, she also begins teaching at Oberlin College in Ohio. Nice. Nice. Uh, in 89, she publishes Talking Back. Um, and that focused on the impact of white imperialist patriarchal domination in her life. Mm. Um, a couple, there's a couple great quotes since I'm very into patriarchy smashing. So these are some of my favorite quotes, <laughs> <laughs> um, quote, it is necessary to remember as we think critically about domination, that we have, that we all have the capacity to act in ways that oppress, dominate, wound, whether or not that power is institutionalized. It is necessary to remember that it is first the potential oppressor within that we must resist. The potential victim within that we must rescue. Otherwise, we cannot hope for an end to domination for liberation. Mm. Right? That one blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Here's a few more quotes. Uh, quote, when liberal whites fail to understand how they can 
and or do embody white supremacist values and beliefs, even though they may not embrace racism as prejudice or domination, especially domination that involves coercive control, they cannot recognize the ways their actions support and affirm the very structure of racist domination and oppression that they wish to see eradicated. Mm. Just want to remind you, this is 1989. Yeah, she nailed it. Yeah. So I feel like I've heard lots of speak about this in the last two, three years, especially with Black Lives Matter. But she said this shit back in 89. Mm -hmm. And one more quote from that book. Even in the face of powerful structures of domination, it remains possible for each of us, especially those of us who are members of oppressed and or exploited groups, as well as those radical visionaries who may have race, class, and sex privilege to define and determine alternative standards to decide on the nature and extent of compromise. Hmm. Brilliant. 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 It's hard for me to find words besides just total awe. Yeah. I'll just keep on going. I'm going to keep on going through. 94, 1994, she accepts the prestigious Distinguished Lecture of English Literature post at City College of New York. She really, at this point, she had kind of risen to be kind of like a pretty leading public intellectual She's published like over 40 books and scholarly articles. Wow. She writes on masculinity, patriarchy, self-help, engaged pedagogy, feminist consciousness, community creation and representation and politics. She writes about, I, I'm just giving you an overview of kind of her most popular books, but she really hits it all. Yeah. Um, so at this point, I think she really is considered kind of this foremost thought leader in 94. Oh, I skipped in 92, though. In 92, she does publish a book called Black Looks, Race and Representation. So one of uh, the the other main principles that she talks about is, is uh, opposition, oppositional gaze. This specific cornerstone of her work is is very centered to the Black experience. So I'm just going to read right off of the article about it rather than kind of posit my own thinking on it. Uh, this article says, quote, Black people have a right to observe or gaze, and the repression of that right resulted in a rebellious desire to look. It is this rebellious act of looking that Bell Hooks defines as the oppositional gaze. This gaze is one which cultivates a power to look, enabling Black female spectators to document what they see and construct their own dialogue with their own voice. A great quote from this specific book, Black Looks, is, quote, even in the worst circumstances of domination, the ability to manipulate one gaze in the face of structures of domination that would contain it opens up the possibility of agency. It kind of makes me think about um, about taping things today, like the cell phone, you know, that that we are we're utilizing the power of the oppositional gaze when we whip out our cell phones and we tape police violence. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. See, this is like the power of talking and the power of and, of sharing. Yeah, and the power of her principles that that are still unfolding however many decades later. Absolutely. Um so now we get to my my favorite part of talking about her work, which is the parts that I've I've actually read of the books <laughs> of hers that I've read. Um cuz embarrassingly audience, I've only read a couple of her books even though you know, having done all this research now, I'm like, well, fuck, I got to go read all of it now because all of it's important. All of it is essential reading. But in 96, she publishes Feminism is for Everybody. And this is my entry to the Bell Hooks world. And I actually, um, I received it as a gift 
uh, I think it was a Christmas gift from my sister-in-law, Beth Ann. And I don't know if she had any idea what she was getting me into when she gave me that book. (laughs) But it was a real head cracker for me, like cracking open all of these new ideas. And we've already touched on it a little bit, but really the idea that feminism... Like in the title, feminism is for everybody. It's not just for women. So a couple of um, my favorite quotes from feminism is for everybody. Quote, if we do not work to create a mass-based movement which offers feminist education to everyone, males and females, feminist theory and practice will always be undermined by the negative information produced in most mainstream media. Accurate. All we ever hear is about browbeating feminists, and that's the negative mainstream media. And the glorification of, you know, the the sort of toxic masculinity, you know, all the heroes that are that are kind of toxic, and yet they're still the hero, the white male savior, you know? Exactly. Also, my other favorite quote is quote, if any female feels she needs anything beyond herself to legitimate and validate her existence. She is already giving away her power to be self-defining, her agency. Exactly, like exactly. Claps. Little applause, little applause, golf clap, golf clap. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when we allow other people to define us, when we allow other people to decide what's good about us and what's not good about us. Oh, fuck them. Now I just yeah. say fuck them. <laughs> But it's a constant journey. It's not an easy switch to flip, right? It and none is of these, not an easy switch. none of these things that Bell talks about, um, you know, it involves lots of thought changing and and habit changing, and tr- and retraining yourself to think kind of outside of those boundaries that you you were brought up in. Whether or not anyone intentionally taught you those, it's what society. It's reinf- It's the water we swim in. It's it's around exactly. us everywhere all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, now we're getting to my other favorite Bell Hooks book, All About Love, that she publishes in 2000. I only read it very recently, actually, in the last like year and a half, I think, is when I read it. And it has transformed the way I think about love and relationships and loving myself in a way that I just had never seen articulated that way. And I I think it's an important book for everyone to read. And even though love is in the title, I don't want men to feel like it's not for them because it actually it is for you too. It's it's a really excellent book about first of all the definition of love and that you know most of us today understand love as romantic love, but right. that love is so much more than just that. In fact, romantic love is just this like tiny tiny piece of love. Um and that there's so much more to it than that. So I'm going to just read off a couple of my favorite quotes from All About Love. Do it. Because <laughs> it's my favorite. But I also think these are mind-blowing. So, so listen and repeat. Pause as you need to like absorb this information because it's great. So quote, one of the best guides on how to be self-loving is to give ourselves the love we are often dreaming about receiving from others. Mm. Mm. I did. I have actually started like buying myself flowers. I'm like, I'm like slowly moving into that space, but like, <laughs> what are things you want from other people? Like, what, oh yeah, you can just do those for yourself right? and love yourself. Yeah. Uh, another quote, uh, quote, to truly love, we must learn to mix various ingredients, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as honest and open communication. The recipe for love, bell hooks. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and others. Sorry. That was so binary of me trying to break those old habits. 
Got to keep, got to keep doing the work every day. Do the work every day. Every yep. day. All right. Here's another one. Quote, I feel our nation's turning away from love, moving into a wilderness of spirit so intense we may never find our way home again. Oof. I write of love to bear witness both to the danger in this movement and to call for a return to love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need that. Okay. Another quote. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. When we understand love as the will to nurture our own and another's spiritual growth, it becomes clear that we cannot claim to love if we are hurtful and abusive. Love and abuse cannot coexist. Mm. Right? Yeah. And how many abusers say it's because I love you? Right, right. No. No. No, it's not. It's because I want to control you. Yeah. Uh, There can be no love without justice. Abuse and neglect negate love. Care and affirmation, the opposite of abuse and humiliation, are the foundation of love. It is a testimony to the failure of loving practice that abuse is happening in the first place. Her writing about abuse is just very, it's very powerful. And if you um, watch any of the YouTube videos and the people she speaks to about that, who've kind of been through that journey of abuse and Mm. how it's affected them, like her work has transformed so many lives. Those maternal values, right? Nurturing, care, gifts. Yeah, that's what it's all about. I got another couple quotes from All About Love. (laughs) Obviously, I'm very biased. Um, Quote, the heart of justice is truth-telling. Seeing ourselves and the way the the world is rather than the way we want it to be. More than ever before, we as a society need to renew a commitment to truth-telling. And here's my last quote from that book. Quote, do not expect to receive the love from someone else you do not give to yourself. The light of love is always in us, no matter how cold the flame. It is always present, waiting for the spark to ignite, waiting for the heart to awaken. Oh my God, that's beautiful. I'm going to sit with that one for a while. That's amazing. Right? Actually, I lied. There's one more quote from this book. And this is about her, you know, her gen- one of her general um, foundational thoughts is love is an action. It's not a feeling. Quote, to begin by always thinking of love as an action rather than a feeling is one way in which anyone using the word in this manner automatically assumes accountability and responsibility. We are often taught we have no control over our feelings, yet most of us accept that we choose our actions, that intention and will inform what we do. We also accept that our actions have consequences. To think of actions shaping our feelings is one way we rid ourselves of conventionally accepted assumptions, such as that parents love their children, Mm. or that one simply falls in love without exercising will or choice, or that there are such things as, quote, crimes of passion. Mm. He killed her because he loved her so much. If we were constantly remembering that love is as love does, we would not use the word in a manner that devalues and degrades its meaning. Bam. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I did it again. So damn binary of me. Stop Everybody. it. Everybody. All people, folks people. everywhere. All That's folks everywhere. Right. People, people. Yes. Um, I also love this quote from her book, Communion, The Search for Female Love in 2002. So like two years after. She's just writing. She's a writing maniac. But uh, this quote I love. Quote, the one person who will never leave us, whom we will never lose, is ourself. Learning to love our female selves is where our search for love must begin. 
I feel like I'm learning these things so late. I'm 36 and I'm, I've just started learning these lessons and how many years I spent on this earth before thinking about these things blows my mind. And I just want all of the, the women coming after me and all the people coming after me to learn these lessons and not waste their time (laughs) without them. Okay, so in 2004, Bell Hooks moves back to Kentucky, her home state. She accepts a faculty position at Brera College in, in Brera, Kentucky, where she's appointed the Distinguished Professor in Residence in Appalachian Studies. At some point, I don't have the exact dates of it, she also was a scholar in residence at the New School in New York City. There's a bunch of videos online on YouTube of her uh, in that lecture series with the New School. Um, So I highly recommend looking it up and and watching them. They're all different topics, and she talks with a bunch of different people. And she just is so profound. And I also, one thing I note in all of her, many of her her discussions are like with other people, where it's more of a conversation rather than a lecture, right? And the people that she's interacting with, and who are obviously people she's met before and has like professional or scholarly relationships with, they all just have such a profound respect and dialogue with each other that um, I don't feel like I often see that there's just like a great mutual love and respect always present in the room when she's speaking, mm. which I I just love. Let me see. Do I have any other? Oh, there's one more quote from The Will to Change, Men and Masculinity and Love, in which she published in 2004. So she does. So she dives a lot deeper into that kind of abuse and that lack of love and the opposite of love. And we sort of already covered this, but just so we can say it in in Bell's words, quote, the first act of violence that the patriarchy demands of males is that they engage in acts of psychic self-mutilation, that they kill off the emotional parts of themselves. If an individual is not successful in emotionally crippling himself, he can count on patriarchal men to enact rituals of power that will assault his self-esteem. Oof. Yes, 100%. 100% patriarchy hurts everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're getting close to her end days here in the in the timeline. But before I dig into the last couple things, um I also just want to note in general and this is why I think some of the some of these things I'm about to say are the reason why pop culture knows who she is a little bit more than the, her writing itself. She has been openly extremely critical and also extremely supportive of a lot of pop culture. But she has spoken out against some some pop culture icons uh, and has she's gotten a lot of flack from it. But also when I read her criticisms, I'm like, oh, wait, she's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So some of her critiques include um, she's a big critic of Spike Lee's films. Oh, damn. She's really critical of the O.J. Simpson trial coverage. Uh, and she was really, specifically with the O.J. Simpson trial, she she said that it was a case about domestic violence and not just race and the criminal justice system. Um, and she yeah. was very disturbed by that, that people kind of ignored the domestic violence side of it. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the intersectionality, right? Like it, it, the the coverage could only focus on one thing when it was really a complex issue. Absolutely. She also uh, was critical of Lil' Kim, the rapper. Um, In an interview uh, with Lil' Kim, she introduced her as, quote, someone who could be in a sleazy black porn magazine. Oh, wow. Sometimes they look like raggedy drag queens, a bit rough around the edges, end quote. Ouch. 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 Um, She was critical of Madonna, too. She um, felt like Madonna's feminism was not feminism certainly not the feminism that that she herself kind of upheld and she also specifically accused madonna of chasing stardom fetishizing black culture 
yeah. reinforcing stereotypes of black men as as kind of violent primitives. Uh, and then in a in a 1996 interview, she said, "Quote to me, Madonna symbolizes so much the question of greed." She was a businesswoman first and foremost. Yes, is I shouldn't say was. Yeah. She's still around, but yeah. She is a businesswoman, first and Oh, foremost. she's still, so she, she's got new pictures circling all the time, I see. <laughs> I mean, she's, she does not dismantle capitalism, let's put it that way. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Bell Hooks was also critical of Michelle Obama. <gasps> she, she who cannot be criticized. But to be fair, it was specifically about the way that Michelle Obama positioned herself as kind of the, the chief, the nation's chief mom. She said that it, it like degraded and dishonored her identity as an Ivy League educated lawyer and that it appeased right. white hatred. Right. Yeah. That's sort of the whole respectability politics type of thing where she had to, she had to emphasize the thing that was more palatable. Yeah. Yeah. She also uh, was critical of Beyonce, Queen Bee. She no. threw some, she threw some stones at Queen Bee. Oh my God. <laughs> she at one point called Beyonce quote, an anti-feminist terrorist. What? Uh, and, was, and she was specifically concerned over the, all this, the influence of sexualized images on young women. Okay. All right. All she right. also called the album Lemonade, which is one of my favorites, um, quote, the business of capitalist money-making at its best. But she didn't just hate Beyonce. She also acknowledged the, the immense power of her work, saying, quote, okay. the black female body is utterly aestheticized. It's beauty, a powerful in-your-face confrontation. So she's like a little bit of both. She's both a critic and, and an appreciator. And you'll read this if, if you go through and read her books, um, especially I think her later books, but also her earlier books. She'll she'll talk about different pop culture references, and she's not afraid to to love some of the weird stuff and hate on some of the popular stuff. And uh, wow. I love that about her. She also recently had a big talk with, um, I guess she had a big talk with Laverne Cox. She was interviewing her. And and she sort of accused her of feeding into the male gaze. Oh, wow. But Laverne is um, super articulate. And she responded, apparently, quote, if I'm embracing a patriarchal gaze with this presentation, it's the way that I found something that feels empowering. And I think the really honest answer is that I've sort of constructed myself in a way so that I don't want to disappear. So it wasn't a fight. It was just kind of a discussion about, you know, when you do all these looks, all this beauty, all this beauty, all this modeling. You know, whose gaze are you feeding into? And uh, I thought her answer was great, though. Yeah. She, like, she's found something that's empowering for herself. Yeah. And um, clearly that she has considered the question within herself. You know, it's not, it's not that she is unaware, right? Yeah. And yeah. she also, okay, so Bell Hooks also definitely threw a bunch of stones at, uh, and not undeserved, I don't think, at Sheryl Sandberg. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we've read Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, that was kind of like one of my first feminist reads, I feel like, because I feel like I'm kind of a late coming, like a late bloomer feminist. But she talks about Sandberg's lean in and she says that Sandberg is selling, quote, a neoliberal whites only corporate feminist fantasy. She's not wrong. She's not She's wrong. Not wrong. I mean, her own her own work talks about how, you know, first you have to you have to love yourself and you have to sort of construct for yourself the liberation inside yourself and that it's a matter of you know what you feel you deserve um, mm -hmm. which is what Sheryl Sandberg says in Lean In you know that that women yeah. will self-select out of things but at the same time Sheryl Sandberg is 
because of her classicism and her, you know, her, yeah. her white gaze, her white feminism, she is also saying that that's all that's needed. And that's not the case. What right. I, what I often repeat over and over again is you cannot solve systemic problems with individual solutions. Right. So right. Sheryl Sandberg is saying, if you just believe in it, it'll happen. If you don't self-select out, you'll yeah. be included in. And it's like, but she's no. assuming that. But she's assuming also that everyone has a seat at the table, and that's just exactly. not true. And that's just, just not true. It's not. I mean, uh, of the imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, Sheryl Sandberg checks only one of those boxes. Um, Damn straight. Damn straight. Yeah. 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 And and she's also a obviously a verdant capitalist, so we can't. <laughs> Can we can we trust capitalists? Her and Madonna. I don't know. It's a conspiracy. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> so anyway, so here here's kind of the the end wrap up. Uh, so she went back to Kentucky and was teaching at Brera College. Uh, Brera College in 2013, they create the Bell Hooks Institute to help preserve oh. her legacy. Fantastic. There's a there's a cute video and interview of her when she's talking about how she didn't understand legacy until until very late in her life where she thought why would you collect somebody's things and then she saw somebody at the institute who saw like one of her dolls as a girl that she talks about in one of her books and this woman was just like weeping seeing this doll that had been and she was like I just didn't understand the power of of legacy for some people and to be so it was a really great I recommend looking up that video too she was inducted to the Kentucky Writers Hall of Fame in 2018. She has a bunch of other awards too. Um, no super famous ones though. She doesn't have like any like you know. I'm it's looking for like Nobel Peace Prizes or Pulitzers, yeah. and she doesn't yeah. have any of those, um, which is a crime, the patri- a patriarchal right. crime. The right. Brer College also opened the Bell Hooks Center, and that just happened in September 2021, oh. just this last year. And then sadly, just this week, December 15th. She died of renal failure at her home in Brera, Kentucky. Mm. And we lost her 69 years old, way too way young. Way too young. Way, too young. Yeah. way, way too young. Brene Brown just posted a, a great um, tribute to her. I was talking about how they were supposed to have her on Brene's podcast. I don't know if you are a Brene Brown listener or follower. I am. She's also deeply impacted me. Um, nice. But they were supposed to, she was supposed to be their very first podcast guest. But then COVID happened and she couldn't, you know, we couldn't travel, especially right. at the beginning when the, before vaccinations and stuff. So there's just so many great tributes actually floating the, out there from everyone right now. And anytime one of them flies across your feed, stop and read it and, and read a little bit more of the wisdom and impact that Bell Hooks has had because she was a powerhouse, but she wasn't a powerhouse personality. She let her writing stand forth. Right. And um, right. I, that's so unusual today. Today is such a, there's such kind of a narcissistic framework to so much work that's done you know yeah that's bell hooks ladies and gentlemen and oh my god i did it too right we've got to retrain ourselves man we've got to retrain ourselves out of the binary oh well well that's it for bell hooks and uh thank you for letting me share her dawn i went i just went on and on and on because she's just i've only even read a few of her things and they've already impacted me so much if this was all very intimidating i recommend starting with a feminism is for everybody or all about love. I think those are the most recent and most, and certainly that I found them very accessible and go from there or watch YouTube videos. If you're a YouTuber, if you want to just listen, she says most of the things we covered here are she, she says in other forums and discussions and stuff like that. She deserves to be a name in everybody's mouth. So check her out. 
To learn more about Bell Hooks, see some of her great quotes that we talked about today, her pictures, some video clips, go on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. And while you're there, you can also click over to the About page to read more about Dawn, all of her info, her other podcasts, and her social links. Speaking of social, are you following us yet? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know, and on Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, then you should help spread the word about us. Share with your friends and family or leave us a review on your podcasting platform. It really helps new listeners to find us when you do stuff like that. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed hearing about Bell Hooks, then I highly recommend you check out a few of our previous Broads episodes, especially one of Bell Hooks' great influences, Audre Lorde, as well as Sojourner Truth, the origin of the phrase Ain't I a Woman comes from her. You also should check out Alison Bechdel, the origin of the Bechdel test, and Na Hei Sok for another radical feminist. We'll see you next week for another Broad You Should Know. Ooh.